welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! Welcome to our online experience. Thank you so much for joining in. My name is Sean Gaby, lead pastor. So grateful that you're with us this morning. Please uh, engage in the chat. Let us know where you're watching from. Share the broadcast, whether you're watching on Facebook. Like it. Subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. Today is a special Sunday because live at our venue, we are doing water baptisms. Super excited for those that are taking the next step in their faith. And I know next week we'll show you a little bit of a recap of what has gone on or what went on in the water baptism. But say a prayer today for those that are taking the next step within the Kingdom Culture family. Super excited about that. So in light of that, I really do want to dive into what I believe is an absolutely important topic. And um, I'm going to read from Matthew 3, chapter, um, chapter 3, verse 11. John the Baptist is speaking, and he's speaking about baptism. I do want to talk about baptism. And don't tune out, because many of you watching really need to hear this message and rehear the value of why water baptism. So Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, John says this, I baptize you with water for repentance. Remember, the word repentance means just to change the way you think. Repentance, to turn away from where you once were. In this context, to repent of sin, to repent of unrighteousness. All the things that were destroying and are destroying your life. Repent, turn away, rethink, reposition your perspective. I baptize you with water for repentance, But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. So today's message title, if you're taking notes, I want to talk on the subject, the baptisms. And this is part one. We're going to be exploring the water today, part of the water. So my subtitle is Under the Water. This is where Jesus wants to bring you, only so that he can take you up out of the water. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 to 6, rewinding a little bit from our opening passage, says this, John's clothes, speaking of John the Baptist, remember he was a relative of Jesus, John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Imagine that. Imagine being that guy, you know, probably dreadlocks, wearing uh, clothes that were woven from coarse camel hair, wearing a leather belt. Kind of sounds a little bit stylish, although he's living the wilderness lifestyle. Uh, He ate locusts and wild honey. It says in verse 5, People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over Jordan Valley went to see and hear this crazy man named John. Verse 6, I added that in. And when they confessed their sins, 
he baptized them in the Jordan River. When they repented, when they confessed, when they acknowledged their shortcomings, the next step was then to be baptized. The Jordan River was one of the dirtiest rivers. It's kind of interesting that that river was picked. And yet that was where not only many, many people were baptized, that's where John the Baptist was baptizing people. That's where Jesus himself, also in Matthew 3, was baptized. And so, you know, the water, it wasn't about the cleanliness of the water. It was about the spiritual act to display something spiritual on the inside, okay? So here we have John the Baptist baptizing people in the Jordan River after they confess their sins. In verse 11 of the New Living Translation, he says it like this, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. There has to be a turning. Repentance looks like turning towards, turning away from, turning towards something else. To repent literally comes from the word to go back to the penthouse. Literally, the, the illustration would be the penthouse of God. Go to the high place and see like he sees. Return to the high perspective. Return to the original state you were always supposed to live in and be in. When John the Baptist came on the scene in the first century, Jewish world, his teaching included the necessity of baptism. But John's baptism was not based on or authorized by Jewish law or pagan religious customs and traditions. John was called by God, given the authority by God, the authority to baptize was given to him from heaven. It says that in Matthew chapter 21, verse 25. Matthew 21, verse 25, you can read that. The authority given to John to baptize. It says in Luke chapter 3, 2 to 3, Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Then John went from place to place on both sides of the Jordan River, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they had turned to God to receive forgiveness for their sins. I'm reading Luke's account because... We have different accounts, different perspectives of the same story. I'm reading Luke's account because I love how the New Living Translation um, relays the truth or value of baptism. He says it like, the people should be baptized to show that they had turned from God or turned to God to receive forgiveness for their sins. And so baptism really is a demonstration and a showcase to God in the spirit realm. It's a spiritual act, just like communion. It's a spiritual act of engagement. Water baptism is a spiritual act to show the world, to show uh, a God in, in spirit, to honor God in spirit, that we have in fact turned to him and received for uh, forgiveness for our sin. Such an important moment, you know. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Do you have to be baptized to go to heaven? No, I'm not saying that, but it is a necessity. It is necessary, it's a necessary act in uh, in a part of your journey spiritually. Just like if you don't do ever, if you don't ever take the Lord's Supper, are you going to hell? Are you going to heaven if you do? No, but it's a part of our spiritual journey. If you don't tithe and don't give offerings and aren't generous and don't love your neighbor and aren't kind sometimes and mess up, 
Are you going to hell? No. Are you going to heaven if you do? No. It has nothing to do with that, but it's a part of, I believe, and what the Bible teaches as a necessity, as necessary in our faith journey. So I would encourage everybody who's watching right now, if you've never been water baptized, and you would say, I have received forgiveness for my sin, I've acknowledged that Jesus is God, then if you've never been baptized, you're missing a huge step in your spiritual journey. Is God mad at you if you don't? know? but he knows that it's actually good for you. And why wouldn't you want to do something that was good for you, just like taking communion? Because you're missing out. Let's look at it this way. When you don't do what God wants us to do, we miss out on the fullness of what we can experience. Okay, and James actually talks about when you know what you ought to do and don't do it, you're actually in sin. If you know you should do something and you have the conviction to do something, but you're holding it off, you're holding it off, holding it off, and you don't do it, you actually are living in a form of sin. And so I would encourage anybody watching, if you've ever felt, or maybe after this message, you're gonna feel the pull to do it, I would encourage you, just take the plunge and do it, no pun intended. Whether you know you do it corporately in front of a whole bunch of people or you do it privately, I mean, I believe it should be in front of people because if it's not you know, in front of a few people, at least witnesses, um, I, I would question why. I would, quite, I would wonder like, what, why? What's stopping you? What are you afraid of? It, this is really a public showcase and a spiritual showcase that you have in fact been forgiven of your sin. Now, back to our passage, Matthew chapter three, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. We're gonna talk about the water. Why the water? I baptize you with water for repentance. The next, the next act post repentance was a spiritual act. Repentance always looks like something. The reason why there was a water baptism after repentance is because part of real repentance is doing something you've never done before to move forward to move into territory that you've never experienced before. So when you repent, you want to leave the environment that was holding you back. You know, it's like if you repent of, you know, being a drug addict and you wanna be moving forward of breaking that addiction in your life, you should probably move forward and stop, take the act of stop hanging out with the wrong people that are gonna influence you to bring you back into that lifestyle. Well, baptism is kind of a, a physical act to represent a spiritual choice and reality that you are choosing to make to move ahead in and through your life. And so when Jesus told John that he needed to be baptized, because the same chapter, you continue on verses later, uh, after verse 11, you see here Jesus is like asking John, the son of God, fully man, fully God, asking John his relative to baptize him. I mean, John even acknowledged that this was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. John's role was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was a voice crying out in the wilderness. It was a fulfillment of a prophecy in Isaiah. Here John is, John the Baptist, baptizing people, preparing the way, and now he's going to baptize Jesus, the Son of God, and yet he's like, I can't do it. It says in verse 11 of Matthew chapter 3, I'm not even fit to wear your sandals. And he's better, he's coming after me and he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I'm just doing it under in water. And so Matthew chapter three, verse 14, John tried to deter him, say, I can't baptize you, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented, okay, I get it. To fulfill all righteousness, we need to do this. It's the right 
thing. I want to be on the right side of justice. I want to be on the right side of the kingdom. Therefore, righteousness says I need to do it. Now, scholars have offered up many interpretations of Jesus's response to John, speaking of we have to fulfill righteousness. The most widely view is that since Jesus had no sin to repent from, he had to come to earth to die on behalf of the sins of humanity. Baptism would identify him with that sacrificial role and symbolize his coming death and resurrection, which seems to be the most obvious because that's why we do it, right? To represent the death and resurrection of Jesus. For Jesus to say, I gotta do this, John, to fulfill all righteousness. I'm doing it as a foreshadowing, as a prophecy, as a prophetic word for the future that I'm gonna die and resurrect and those that give their lives to me, surrender their lives to me, will also die and resurrect metaphorically in a sense of not physically die, but spiritually the old man will die and you'll become a new creation in Christ. Second Corinthians chapter five, you'll become a new creation. All things will become new, old things will pass away. The old man, Galatians says, has been crucified. You've died with Christ and you have a new life. Okay, so that makes the most sense. Scholars would say this makes the most sense. In this way, baptism would allow Jesus and John to together in this moment to fulfill all righteousness by publicly foreshadowing the way all sin can be forgiven. Now, a simpler and even more even more possible, but I just don't think it's necessarily this. It could be this. It could be this and what I just said. Uh, more possible meaning could be that it was just Jesus's will. It was God's will. John 5, 19 says, I only do what I see my father doing. Jesus said that. I can't do anything on my own initiative. I do what I see my father doing. Therefore, maybe it could have just been the fact that, hey, it needs to happen. You don't even have to wonder why. It just needs to happen. Jesus may be saying to John that, uh, you know, the way forward to fulfill all righteousness is to just do what God wants. And this is what God wants. It's doing the right thing. So I want to go into, I want to break down some, uh, definitions and, and bring some clarities to some things. And I want to start with number one, if you're taking notes, why the water? Okay, why water? Well, the water is very symbolic. It's, it's from the Old Testament and the people that were getting baptized, especially the Jews that were getting baptized uh, under John the Baptist would have understood the power of the water. And because in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, and even though at this point John the Baptist was baptizing people, still under the Old Covenant, Jesus was the New Covenant introduced, but he hadn't died and resurrected yet. There was an understanding of the cleansing of the waters, okay? The law of Moses required washings on, part of, on the part of the priests following certain sacrifices and on certain individuals who are unclean because of infectious disease. You see this in Numbers chapter 19, Leviticus 14, 15, 16, 24 to 28. The natural method of cleansing the body by washing and bathing in water was always customary in Israel. In fact, it's still a custom. When you go to Israel, you go to the wailing wall, you want to pray, you got to go in uh, before and after you wash your hands. It's just a part of the custom. And you see this as well um, in Exodus chapter 19, verse 10. Symbolic acts of cleansing weren't just done by the priests as evidenced by Naaman, the Syrian being cured of leprosy by a baptism in the Jordan River. Remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, 10 to 14? They would have understood this, but not in the traditional sense because Elijah, or Elisha, sorry, the prophet told Naaman to go dip seven times in the dirtiest river 
which was the Jordan, the same river that John the Baptist comes to be uh, uh, to baptize people to represent the cleansing of sin, even though the physical water wasn't clean. It wasn't about the physical water cleansing of the sin. It was about the physical act representing a spiritual transformation and a spiritual statement, okay? In 2 Kings chapter 5, 10 to 14, Naaman, who was sick, who had a real severe skin condition called leprosy, was told by the prophet, the way you're going to get healed, the way you're going to be cleansed, it's a foreshadowing, is to go dip seven times, which is the God number, by the way, seven times, seven days of creation, go dip seven times in the dirtiest of water. It makes no sense, but it Kingdom life is not supposed to always make sense here. It's supposed to make sense here. And when our eyes here are turned on, what we do, what we're called to do, begins to make sense. And we begin to see the results of what often doesn't feel like makes sense because all of a sudden we begin to experience the reality and the overflow of when you take the step of faith that God's calling you to take. So then it actually does end up making sense. So here we have the Syrian Naaman going down. He dips seven times and he's completely healed. And he did what the prophet said. John was a prophet. Jesus was a prophet. And he has said, go get baptized. Go get baptized. Not to cleanse you of your physical disease, but as a sign that you have been cleansed of your spiritual disease, and that's called sin, because we're born into sin. Therefore, we need a savior to come get us out of that place and eradicate sin from our life, which is the gospel message, right? So this is a very powerful picture of the power of water, both in the old and new. The Old Testament washings with or in water that were for the purpose of physical cleansing can be seen as a type or shadow of New Testament baptism, which is a sign of spiritual cleansing. Even the great flood, I'm still talking about the symbolism of water here. Go back to the great flood, what happened? God flooded the earth, okay? And only eight individuals remained to start over again. He removed the evil. The water was a symbolic representation of removing, it actually happened, it wasn't symbolic, but it also represented in symbolism, removing the evil, so that everything can start over again. Well, when Jesus died and resurrected, he gave us the invitation to remove evil from our own life, cleansing of us, uh, as a, uh, of cleansing us of our past, present, future sin, and giving us a new life in Christ. Romans chapter six says, sin no longer is your master. It's been eradicated from you. That sin nature has been eradicated from you. So the great flood was also a symbol and it was actually brought back in the New Testament, <clears throat> as sort of like a foreshadowing concerning baptism. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, those who disobeyed God long ago when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat, only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. Flood. <clears throat> in the Greek, it actually could be translated as they were saved through water. Okay, they were saved through water. Verse 21, and that water is a picture of Baptism, Peter brings it back full circle, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So let's just stop there for a second. I want to hone in on this idea of baptism, okay? The experience of baptism going underneath the water is really a response to God from a clean conscience. Because of what God has done in your life, you are responding to God by taking the plunge. 
okay? You are responding to God by taking the plunge. And it's only effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, okay? If there was no resurrection, you know what baptism would be? <laughs> Go down under the water and stay under. <laughs> Basically, drown yourself. The whole picture is you go under to come up. Jesus died, he went under, and then he resurrected, he came up. That's what the symbol is. And that's why it says it's only effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you were with us last week or watched last week, remember we talked about there would be no Christianity without the resurrection. The resurrection is core to our faith. Without the resurrection, we would have no reason to have faith. So God metaphorically flooded the earth again through Jesus, but this time it was through his love, through his son, to remove the evil from our lives once and for all. Jesus became sin to remove sin. I'm kind of still connecting it back to the flood. But Jesus became sin to remove sin. He's metaphorically, through the cross and resurrection, has flooded the earth again, like I said, but this time with his love. This time with his love through the act of death and resurrection to remove permanently evil from our lives. Notice I didn't say world, but lives, okay? Because we were born into that sin nature. And so this is why Jesus died and resurrected, to eradicate, the Bible says, to circumcise that sin nature. So Jesus became sin, though, to remove it. He had to become it to remove it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the what? Righteousness of God. Jesus, who had no sin, became the very definition of sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As in Mark 16, verse 16, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Why? Because it's a natural byproduct. It's the next step. Belief and baptism go together. That is not to say if you die unbaptized, you ain't arriving at the pearly gates. Like I said, okay, you read this, but you got to read things in the full context, okay? This is an expectation. It's expected. There's no argument here. There's, a, there's an assumption that if you're going to believe and you're going to repent of your sin, that you're going to do these things. It's like there's an assumption. If you say you love God, you're going to love, okay? It doesn't mean that you're going to love perfectly. You might miss it sometimes. You might not do it well. You might suck at it for a very long time. You know, hopefully it's not the case. But these are expectations. It's like what tithing was in the Old Testament and New Testament. And people always want to argue, well, Jesus didn't talk specifically about it. He actually did address it to the religious in Matthew. And it was just a part of the culture. It was a part of the culture. It's like, we don't even have to talk about some things because it's there. You know, you want to talk about what Jesus did talk about? He talked about giving everything. He talked about going above and beyond what was just a low standard in the Old Testament. So you have to read things in context from old to new. There are things in the new that are just assumed. People always want to argue, well, because Jesus didn't address this or so-and-so addressed this or because Paul addressed this, but Jesus didn't, it must mean that's not for real. No, there are things that are just commonplace. We grow from glory to glory, okay? So if something was a standard in the old, guess what? Because of grace, we rise above all those standards automatically. We rise above it. It's it's just, it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. And this is part of what Mark 16 and 16 kind of are relating that it's an obvious thing that if you're baptized 
uh, or if you're, you're, you're a believer, you're gonna get baptized. It's just gonna happen. Number two, what does it mean? Okay, what does it mean? Define biblical baptism. The Greek word for baptism here that we've been talking over and over again is the Greek word baptizo. It's also used in Mark chapter 1, 4, Matthew chapter 3, verse 6, speaking of John baptizing. John came baptizing in the desert region. It was very common among, amongst Greek-speaking people and is used in every period of Greek literature and was applied to a great variety of matters, including the most familiar acts of everyday life. And one of the easiest words, ways that we can describe the, the meaning of baptizo is to fully immerse, to dip repeatedly, to submerge as like a vessel would be sunk underwater, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash, to make clean with water, to wash oneself self and bathe, to overwhelm. The clearest illustrated example of this, okay, that shows the meaning of baptizo is a text from the Greek poet and physician Nicander, who lived in about 200 BC. And it's found in a recipe for making pickles. And it's helpful because it uses both words. Nicander says that in order to make a pickle, the vegetable should first be dipped, which is the word bapto, dipped, into boiled water and then baptized, which is the word baptizo, in the vinegar solution. So first it's dipped into the boiling water and then it's baptized, fully immersed, to sit, to absorb, okay? Fully immersed in the vinegar solution. Okay, so this is very important. As you know, pickles, you know, start as cucumbers, okay? And they go in a cucumber and they come out totally different. Well, this is the picture of baptism. You are actually demonstrating that you've already been transformed. You've already gone from a cucumber to a pickle. I was explaining um, to my, one of my daughters about baptism, about the actual moment of baptism. And, you know, cause I was talking about how like baptism is not what, you know, all of a sudden now I'm getting baptized because I want to be with God or because I want to know God or because, I mean, they're, they're all good explanations, but they're not really accurate. Okay. You're getting baptized because you already know God. You're getting baptized because it's the next step in your journey, in your faith. It's kind of like I, I asked her, she's a, she's a ballerina and she does recitals and she, she trains two to three times a week. And I asked her, I said, I said, is what makes you a ballerina the recital? She's like, no. What makes you a ballerina is that you are already a ballerina and already practicing and living that out. The recital is just the showcase that you actually are a ballerina. The, the recital, the, the platform, the moment, the performance is simply just a demonstration that you already are what you are performing as on stage. Well, as a believer, Baptism is like that. It's a showcase that you already are walking with Jesus, that you already have turned and repented. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean that sin is not still lurking at your door, that you're not tempted and that you're not gonna maybe give in here and there, but it means that you're willing to move through, that you're gonna move ahead, that you're, you're all in with Jesus because you believe that he's Lord, he's God in your life, and you have repented and you're moving ahead. And so baptism is the next step in your journey. And I believe it's supposed to be a spiritual experience, just like communion. It's supposed to be a spiritual exchange. I know for me, I was healed on my baptism. I was healed of a speech impediment on my baptism at the age of 19. Changed my life. 
changed my life. Now, when I got baptized, I mean, we were doing like 10 to 15 minute like testimonial speeches. I remember I fasted for like, I think it was like nine days or something leading up to it. I mean, I it was I was believing that God was gonna like do something crazy. That this wasn't just like a routine, little traditional act, little I'm getting baptized, moving ahead in my life. No, no, I'm like, I'm going down under. I am like legitimately transformed and I'm gonna come up a new person. And I, even though I already was a new person, I just felt like this was gonna be experience. I was claiming Matthew 3 for myself because if you read the story of Jesus, when Jesus at the age of 30 got baptized, he came up out of the water and he had an encounter. God, heaven opened, God spoke and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He confirmed his identity. That's what I'm believing for, for those that are getting baptized. I'm believing for anybody that wants to take any spiritual step, that it's more than just a little you know, checkbox on, check, check on your task list spiritually, and you actually have a legitimate encounter that changes the game for you. So, of course, back to Nikander. Um, I, I love this illustration. It, it speaks of permanent change. Just as a cucumber permanently now becomes a pickle, tastes different, looks different, uh, feels different, the texture's different. And that's the kind of, I believe, illustration we need to look at baptism or look at baptism through that lens. We need to see it that way, that we are going to look, sound, and taste different. Um, so let me just dive into something that's a little more controversial. And let me just ask you the question, is infant baptism legit? People always ask, is infant baptism legit? Now, let me just say this at the forefront, Catholics, all you Catholics out there, you're watching, or that you will watch or listen, Catholics love me when I talk about communion because I align way more with the uh, view of communion, the Eucharist, from a Catholic standpoint, from a more traditional Catholic standpoint, than I would say that I do the Protestants. And so Catholics love me when I teach on communion. It's right up their alley. I go all in with that. Um, but they don't like me so much when I talk about baptism, but hear me on this, okay? Especially on infant baptism, okay? The issue of baptism, especially when it comes to this, has troubled believers for centuries. And uh, we can look at the, into the history of the church, the issues of infant baptism has not been the problem as it has been in recent centuries because of where we've come from and where, where we've learned to grow in regards to our biblical understanding of baptism. As the church was in an, an evangelistic mode in the first three centuries, we find clear statements of the fact that adult baptism was always upon conversion. There was also the concept that baptism washed away all pre-baptismal sins. This is in part why this tradition came into play, introduced by the early uh, church and was adopted into the Catholic church, that infant baptism had to happen because if it didn't happen and the baby died, the baby would die in its pre-baptismal sins. That's just not biblical. There's nowhere in scripture that you're gonna find this, this is a man-made tradition. Sorry, this is a man-made tradition, but we need to call a spade a spade. This is a man-made thing based on fear that if you were to die today as a baby, you're going to hell because you didn't get sprinkled with water. That is just not the reality, not true. God is not an unkind, unjust God. No, you're held accountable when you can be accountable. <laughs> Did you hear that? You're held accountable when you can be accountable, when you have the choice to reject God or to accept God. 
God is not up there being like, you know, you didn't even have a choice, you're damned. You know, that's not how it is. And God doesn't even send people to hell. By the way, we choose our own destination. We do. God's given us a free will. We choose our own destination. So infant baptism was based at the core. And there's a few layers of this. But at the core, it was based on fear. So then they tried to supplement this later on with confirmation. But I would just call, and let me just say, from a biblical standpoint, because we actually see this in the Bible, I would call what the Catholics call infant baptism, I would try, I would propose that we should call that child dedication. Child dedication. Just as Hannah, you can read it in 1 Samuel, Hannah, who was barren, who was asking for God to give her a baby, said, if you give me a baby, I'll dedicate him. And then he was dedicated. And this is actually carried through. Children were dedicated, okay? They were not baptized Okay, baptism, Jesus, think about it. He was dedicated in the temple as a baby, but then at 30, he was baptized. At the age of 30, why was he baptized? To fulfill all righteousness. If you want to fulfill and do what's right, when you are ready and you've received the forgiveness, baptism is the next step. Okay, so we can go on and on about this, but as the church conquered the pagan world, we see infant baptism as arising as a universal practice. And it appears uh, to be used upon the fact that even in the ancient church, there was a concept that baptism was the initiation right into the community of faith. That's another thing, just like confirmation. And I'm speaking to all the Catholics out there. I'm just proposing this, to go to scripture and see, okay, where are some of the man-made traditions that we've adopted that we think are super spiritual and are they motivated by fear? And if they're motivated by fear, how can we relook at scripture and say, hey, okay, sure, get, get infant baptized. But I would just say this, that, that looks, that's more like dedication scripturally, and you should be baptized. You should be baptized. You have not yet been baptized in the baptism of Jesus or the baptism of John unto repentance if you've not, at the age of accountability, made the choice to go fully under, fully submerged. It's not a sprinkle. It's a full submersion as we three see throughout Scripture. You can read about it in the book of Acts. People were getting baptized all the time. Jesus' command before he left, his commission was like, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, fully submerse them, get them under the water. It's, it's a prophetic picture of what I've done for them on behalf of them. And so I hope this gives and sheds some light in this area um, on, on baptism and infant baptism. So like I said, let's call this uh, dedication. And you can see this in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel. Now, let's num number three. Let's go to number three here. Number three. Number three, looking at Jesus as the example. Looking at Jesus as the example, okay? So we talked about water, but why water? We've talked about um, defining the word baptism, like why baptism? And then I'm just diving in more. I'm diving in more hope to encourage you. Looking at Jesus as the example, his experience in Matthew chapter three, verse 16 to 17. It says, after his baptism, Jesus' baptism, he came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. This imagery broken down, the power of faith, 
and this act together made a statement, made a statement of what was really going on to fulfill all righteousness. It was a physical act of di displaying an invisible reality. And the thing that I love about this is it was like a statement of identity. He came up out of the water and it was like, even though he already was the son and he was a son, just like us, when we get baptized, even though we were already children of God when we gave our lives to Jesus, we were adopted, Ephesians 1 says, into the family of God, okay? So if we've been adopted into the family of God, the next step is, is baptism. We were already that, but it's like baptism for Jesus in this moment was a confirmation. It was a public confirmation of his identity. It's like God spoke it, the devil heard it. God spoke it, the devil heard it. It's like you come out of the water, it's like, okay, this guy's for real, this girl's for real, and this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. They've taken the next step, the necessary step, and therefore I'm ready to move them ahead. They're, they've fulfilled all righteousness, they've put that next step into their journey, and I'm gonna continue them on that journey. And the reason why I know the devil heard it is because the very next thing that happened says the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, okay, and rested on him, that same spirit, the Holy Spirit, now led him into a 40-day wilderness temptation season. 40 days. And at the very end of those 40 days, when he was tired, he was weak, he was tempted with three things. And the three things, the first two things that he was tempted with in Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, you see it, and in verse 6, are challenging the very statement of identity that God the Father, when heaven opened, spoke over Jesus when he came up out of the waters of baptism. So the devil heard it. It was like a statement over Jesus. Okay, this is my son. And then he says, the devil tries to tempt him 40 days in the wilderness. He says, if you really are the son of God, turn this stone into bread. If you really are the son. The third temptation was now bow down and worship me. If I can't get your identity, I'm going to get your affection. I'm going to get your attention. Because if I can get your affection and your attention, then I could affect and infect that identity that you are so adamant about fighting me on. And so very, very important that we understand that Jesus as the example, I mean, he did it. He has this experience. It was about identity. It was about a confirmation of identity. Let's call this confirmation. The way the Catholics call confirmation when they're at a certain age. I mean, once again, most kids don't have any clue. They don't remember being baptized uh, it, it, as a baby. And they don't remember even really their confirmation. Or they might remember their confirmation, but they don't know why. This is why it's so important. I mean, Jesus at the age of 30, you guys, he made this step. He, he was ready. He made this step. And I want to just encourage all of you. You know, like, you may not even feel ready. The point is not that you have to feel ready. And I wouldn't have even language like that if I could go back. The, the, the point is that you, you know that it's the right thing to do. You know that it's the right thing to do. And I, wanna, I, I really wanna bring biblical uh, understanding to you this morning of, as to the power of, of this. I was actually uh, with my kids on Tuesday nights. Uh, we were, had like a little bit of a worship time together they went to bed and we were praying and we were praying because two of my daughters are getting baptized on Sunday and we were praying and, um, and, and we were just in worship and I was just praying and I was recounting this Matthew 3 experience to them in my prayer about identity. And I was praying that when they come up out of the water that they would just feel like what Jesus felt, a confirmation of God's pleasure. God's pleasure in who they are. 
God's pleasure in confirming whose they are. God's pleasure in confirming that they are daughters of God. They are children of God. And I just believe that we need to look to Jesus as our example when it comes to baptism. Number four, understanding it a little more. Let's dive in a little more. I want to give you a few more scriptures just to bring you into a little more understanding. I want to, I'm trying to break down water baptism in many different ways for us to see the value of it. Romans 6, chapter, chapter 6, verse 1 to 5 out of the message translation says this. So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we have left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we went, when we, when we came up out of the water, okay, so let me just recap this for a second. When we went under the water, we left the old country, the old ways of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of, gra of, a, grace, of, of, a, of grace, a new life, and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we are lowered into the water, it is like the burial of Jesus. When you're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we are raised up out of the water, it is like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in a new, grace sovereign country. Another great way of understanding the power of baptism is found in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 to 15. Out of the message, it says it like this. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in. Insiders, not through some secretive initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation right you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did with Christ. I love this. When you were stuck in your old sin dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. And remember, as I said in 1 Peter, like getting down under the water and getting up out of the water in the waters of baptism is your response to God from a clean conscience. And so the waters of baptism really play a powerfully significant role in the life of a believer. It does not determine you're going to heaven though, as I've said, okay? It is not the determining factor. You have to read scripture in context. You can't just isolate certain key phrases without really studying it and knowing the whole picture. Very important. The very last thing in the crucifixion that happened, you know what it was? It was a connection between water and blood. The last thing that happened after Jesus said it is finished, like the penalty has been paid, the sin debt has been paid, the, the justice for sin, the judgment for sin has been served, okay? When he said it is finished, the last word, some of the last words of Jesus, and he bowed his head, gave up his spirit, just to make sure he was dead as actually a fulfillment of prophecy from the Old Testament, from the prophets, a spear was thrown into his side and out of his side was blood symbolizing the blood of the new covenant that washes away sin for the forgiveness of sin and the water, the purification, the water. It's like John 3, unless one is born of water 
and of the Spirit, they cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. John 3, verse 3, unless one is born again, they cannot enter or see the kingdom of heaven. We were created, just as we were created in the womb physically and sustained in the water of the womb, the last thing that happened before Jesus died was pour the pouring out of water as a sign of the new or recreation experience grounded through baptism. That's why baptism is so important. It's like we were recreated. It's like just as we were created in water in the womb, okay? When we are reborn, it's like we're a new creation. We're a new creation, reborn of water, reborn of blood, the blood of the new covenant. The blood, it takes blood to cut a covenant, okay? And so the blood represents, that's why Jesus said in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, through the hands of Paul, he said, do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Remember, this is the blood of my new covenant for the forgiveness of your sin. That's why it was so prophetic as to what happened as far as the last act, because water does purify and the blood of Christ forgives, is for the forgiveness of sins. And we see this in John 19, I didn't read the scripture, but verse 34, John 19, one of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water flowed out. Blood and water flowed out. And it kind of sounds like a prophecy. Sounds like a prophecy found in Zechariah 13, verse one, a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah, where it says, on that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. This is the gospel message. The waters of baptism is a representation that God has cleansed you from your past, present, and future sin, that he has removed impurity from you, that you have become the righteousness of God. Remember, Jesus said in 2 Corinthians chapter five that he became, he who knew no sin became sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. This is the gospel message. This is why baptism is so important. It's a proclamation of what you have become and it is the next step in your journey. So I wanna encourage all of you, maybe this was a little bit of a recap. You've already been baptized. Maybe you didn't know some of this stuff before, but now you have a greater understanding and you can relay this message to those around you, those that you know that need to take the next step. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time, you're super bothered because I addressed the whole you know, infant baptism thing. Hey, just hear me out, dive into scripture a little bit, study for yourself, get into it, learn about it, and learn the difference between what's man-made and what's biblical in order to understand God's order and plan for your own life. But maybe you're on a journey and you've never been baptized, I would encourage you, whether you are a part of another church or maybe you know someone that can, be, can baptize you, get somewhere where you can get baptized, take that next step. You guys, it's spiritual. It's not just a physical thing you do, it's a physical act that really represents a spiritual inward transformation. And I believe God will do something so powerful in and through your life. If you're watching this, you've never said yes to Jesus. You don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. I wanna encourage you to make that step today and say yes, to let him in. It says in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, resurrected, you will be saved. All you have to do is say yes today. If you're watching, you landed on this by accident, let me just tell you, it is no accident. You're here for a reason. And Jesus wants to meet you where you're at. He's been knocking spiritually on the door of your heart for years now, for years now. And especially the last 
couple weeks, last couple months, and now you're here for a reason. And I would say this to you, take that step today. Say yes to him, let him in. It's not joining a religion, it's joining in on a relationship. He's a relational God and he wants that relationship with you. If that's you, just say yes. Say yes, Jesus, I believe you're Lord, I believe you're God, I believe you're the only way to God. You are, you said about yourself that you are the way, the truth, and the life, that no one can come to the Father except through me. So today, I'm accepting you. I'm returning my RSVP to your invitation and I'm saying yes today. I'm receiving your forgiveness. Now Holy Spirit, fill me, overwhelm me, begin to speak to me, help me to take that step in my journey in Jesus' name. If you said that and you meant it, I believe it was the best decision you will have ever made in your entire life. Please let us know how we can support you. Email the email on the screen so we can send you some information to help you along on your journey. God bless you, Kingdom Culture. I hope this impacted you, and we will see you next week.